This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 33. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss the latest episodes of that hit BBC series, of course, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing, finally, the 11th and penultimate episode of Season 10, World Enough and Time. This is the first part of the two-part season finale. And joining me today, I know uh, they're probably as excited to talk about this as I am because it was so good. Uh, joining me mm-hmm. today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken from San Diego. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika from Malta, Montana. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Great. So uh, I just right off the top of my, uh, the top before we get started on the on the episode, I want to thank um, everyone who's been able to give us some feedback that we asked for. Um, we as the series as the season series. I always get the Britishisms mixed up. This the Doctor Who series for Americans is not ending, but the season is ending uh, in, ne- after next week until uh, Christmas, and so. In the past, we've taken that time, you know, the time between seasons off from the podcast. But we want to keep on going. We're having a blast, and we we, we hear from you. Uh, you all enjoy it. Uh, so we ask for your feedback. What should we talk about in the interim? And we're getting great feedback um, on our uh, Facebook page at uh, the, the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and uh, via email, Who at sqpn.com. Um, and if you, if, you, if you got any feedback, if you have any ideas of what you'd like to, us to talk about, um, again, keep sending it. We, we, you know, there'll be plenty of time. <laughs> There's going to be plenty of weeks without uh, new episodes of Who uh, in the future. And so just keep sending it. We'll, we'll file it all. Uh, and, and we love your ideas um, because really this is about you, about what you guys want to listen to. So um, that's great. And then uh, let's get to this episode. Um, and I want to, off the top of my head, I want to say, finally, <laughs> this yeah. is the Stephen Moffat episode, <laughs> the Stephen Moffat stylings I've wanted all season long. This is what I've been missing. Uh, there have been good episodes this season, but this one, this one felt like like what I was looking for. I, I just want to like your your just your 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 two second review off the top, uh, Jimmy. First, Jimmy, I know you're the hardest to please because you're the, the the biggest longest Doctor Who fan of us all. <laughs> How did you feel about this one? Just a couple of words. I, I thought it was the best episode in a long time. I really Good. liked it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. How about you, Father Corey? Be the. Oh, be- I, I, I agree. This is one of these episodes where you kind of look at the clock and it's over already. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing, like a good Moffat episode, um, it has layers and layers and layers and little tiny details that that show up on repeat viewings. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll get into where I found some of those on my repeat viewing uh, as we go along. But uh, there's, there's so much in there. It felt like an episode of Sherlock in that sense. It's one of the reasons why I ended up loving Sherlock was those layers and details. Um, so from the beginning... Um, the title, the title itself, yeah, uh, has a little yeah. depth to it, um, d- and Jimmy- it's a little hard to it's a little hard to track down because if you just type if you go to Google <clears throat> and you type in "world enough and time" in yep. quotes, 
if you're not looking at a Doctor Who reference, it's going to be a Star Trek reference because there's a Star Trek fan movie starring George Takei that has that title too. Yep. So obviously it means something, but it's not hard. You have to dig through the sci-fi to find the literary illusion. Not in the, and, not in my house, actually. Interestingly enough, so oh. I'm married to a, a woman who was an, was an English professor who got her degree, uh, her undergraduate degree from a very good Catholic, uh, 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 what's the word? Um, literary school. Um, well, that's liberal, cheating. Liberal, liberal arts school who knew the title of the, the poem. She could <laughs> recite the poem to me, which was uh, impressive enough. Um, but it's it's, an, it's a poem from published in 1681 by Andrew Marvell mm-hmm. called uh, To, his, to coy, his Coy Mistress. To His Coy Mistress. And... Um, hmm. The summary is: is a man is trying to seduce his his reluctant mistress, um, who's playing hard to get, playing hard to get, and he assures her that if they had all the time in the universe, that he would adore her for all that time. But since uh, they are limited in in their time, that death is stalking the, uh, us all, um, that they should they need go to get busy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they need to put on Barry White and move along. Uh, so. That's a very interesting title for this, um, and I'll put a link to the poem in the show notes. You can you can go read it for yourself. Uh, uh, but it, it's an interesting title for this. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. um, it reflects the themes of the show exactly. I mean, not only do we have time dilation as a prominent element here, mm-hmm. so in a sense, Bill does have this huge amount of time compared to the Doctor, but also. The mortality of humans is exactly what To His Coy Mistress is about, and that's one of the big questions that this show raises. It also calls, as the opening sequence is going to call to mind, it it, it brings up the mortality of an individual incarnation of the Doctor. So if we had just infinite time to do everything we wouldn't have to worry about stuff we could we could uh we wouldn't have to we wouldn't have to get busy in various ways um you know we wouldn't have to take events seriously right but we don't well and uh, there was a particular line in the poem that uh, that caught my eye which was a uh, but at my back i always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near and i and i kind of thought of the the this 400 mile long spaceship where the time is running so fast at one end so at my back or at the back of the ship time's mm-hmm. winged chariot is hurrying near uh versus the front of the ship and this so that's very, very there's a couple of lines in there that it, I, I could there's a uh, something about years before the flood and that made me think of the episode titled before the flood uh i don't know how much of those things actually connect um but what about the title itself of the poem to uh, his coy mistress um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, because we have Missy. Missy is this the mistress. Episode, she's kind of. Is she going to be good or not? She's playing a little hard to get, sort of, kind of. Yep. What were you going to say, Father Corey? No, no, nothing. Oh, okay. Uh, I just want to, you know, so this idea, you know, had we world, but world enough in time, this coyness lady were no crime, um, and so. In a in a sense, you you could, if you apply to this, you know, if we had enough time and enough world, and literally there's a limited world that they're living on, um, it, they the doctor would have enough time for for Missy to be playing as coy as she is, but time is run running out for Bill, uh, and the doctor mm-hmm. doesn't have time. So I just just thought that and, might and, be interesting. Yeah, and Missy has to make a choice, just like the mistress in the poem. Yes, 
Exactly. Yes. And she's being she's being courted. She's being uh, seduced. But the question is, is, as we'll get to the get to at the end, is it the doctor who she's being seduced by or her previous incarnation of as the master? That's the question. Um, another thing that comes up with this title for me is what relation it might have to the title of the last time we saw the episode, the last we saw of John Sim as the master, uh, which was called the end of time. Uh, so this, I mean, time, of course, is a factor in, in, in all of Doctor, Doctor Who. So it's not surprising that the word would come up again. But I'm kind of curious, maybe maybe something's playing out there with world enough in time and end, the end of time. Um, I'm not sure. That, that might be a little more than, than there's there. So um, I, I think that's as much as we really want to dig into the, the title. Um, but there's, a, there's some nuggets there, and I, it's worth a read to... Uh, Kind of, you know, for the listener to see if you find anything else in there. Uh, so, but let's go to the cold open, which is I literally, find, <laughs> literally, yeah. <cold. laughs> uh, I I find uh, I, I want to say right off the bat, this was kind of brilliant, really, from a show structure point of view, where we have the the TARDIS is on some ice planet, Doctor stumbles out, and regeneration begins, and mm-hmm. I gotta say that that kind of it takes it off the table, like, in the sense of we know that regeneration is coming at some mm-hmm. point in this episode, the next episode, or in the Christmas episode. We know it's coming. And what, what it does is it says, okay, this it, when you see the cold ice planet and the TARDIS sitting on it, that's when it's coming, so forget about it until we get there. Right. And th- that way we're not spending the next several episodes, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Yeah, it's a way of both diffusing immediate tension, and when we get closer, it'll become, it'll pivot and be a way of building tension narratively, because we're going to start seeing imagery leading into what we've already seen about the regeneration, and we're going to be thinking, okay, now here it comes, and it'll build anticipation at that point. So Mm -hmm. this kind of... um, uh, proleptic anachronism has a way of both defusing and building tension. I have to say, it would even be more effective if they hadn't played that dirty trick in Lie of the Land. Uh, yes, when... it would. They uh, they undercut Absolutely. this by doing that. Yeah, that was a terrible. And, that was terrible. Go ahead. And I, I yeah. have to admit, you know, being a fan of both Star Trek and uh, uh, St- uh, Battlestar Galactica, I'm kind of abused to this or kind of sick of this where, you know, because both those series like to do, let's start out with something that's very dramatic and 48 hours earlier. Oh, so mm-hmm. many, so many TV shows do that. Even like run of the mill shows like, you know, I don't know, Hawaii Five-0 or, you know what I mean? You know, and it's just, and it's, 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 it's such an overused trope. Oh yeah, it's such an overused thing in in media today, and it, it's if it's done well, it can be effective like this, right? But it's just one of those. As soon as you see it, you're like, oh, not again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was a little worried that we were going to see you know X hours earlier because this is precisely the time to use this type of device without right. making it cheap. Uh, I want to mm-hmm. kind of address the regeneration actually right here. Um, there has been some hint that um, well, I don't want to you know do any spoilers of when we should expect it, whether next week or in the Christmas. But um, Moffat said at a, a public event, um, I think something called the Hayes Festival, that he and Chibnall, who's taking over for him as showrunner next season, 
have made secret plans to do the regeneration in a way that we've never seen before. This is the quote. I'm not going to tell you what it, that is, but I'm excited by it. I think it's going to work well. Every regeneration is different, but we're playing it slightly different this time. I think we've got a good idea. What do you mm -hmm. think that might be? Just a little speculation. What would be so truly different that he would say something like that? I have some ideas. I, I can ima I can imagine a few things. Um, one thing that occurs to me that it's actually been done before, but it's only been done once, and they could bring it back in and explore it further, um, is uh, when in the uh, uh, when Tom Baker's fourth Doctor regenerated, a mysterious glowing figure known as the Watcher appeared for on several occasions beforehand and we didn't know who the watcher was if he's a threat the doctor had a brief conversation with him and was mortified by what he heard and then and and it turned out the watcher was sort of a prefigurement of peter davidson's doctor and at the moment tom baker died the two of them merged and he became peter davidson and so that was a very interesting kind of metaphysical thing where you had this future projection of the doctor appearing um, something along those lines, re-exploring that would be neat. Also, we have a prophecy from the uh, sixth doctor's time, Colin Baker, that along about the time of the 13th incarnation of the doctor, there would be an evil incarnation, the Veilyard. <clears throat> And um, and Peter uh, Stephen Moffat has mentioned the Valyard uh, previously, and so he could say, "Well, let's pay that off now because he's kind of a completist," and so he he could say, "Okay, let's have." Let's do the Valyard now, but it's only going to be a temporary incarnation leading into the next Doctor to carry it forward. So I could see the Christmas special being devoted to the Valyard in some way. Mm. And it could be some kind of temporary weird spinoff um, incarnation that would be d uniquely different. See, that's the th kind of thing I'm thinking of. Because it has to be something that would carry over into the next season for Ch for, mm -hmm. for chibnall to have to agree it has to be something that isn't just confined to one episode um mm -hmm. i was thinking in uh, uh slightly broader terms and probably wishful thinking terms um in the sense of no i don't know if it's broader but more wishful thinking um we haven't we we still don't know who the next uh the actor playing the next doctor who that's going to be is and that's yeah that's strange that's unusual that's unusual I, mm -hmm. uh, my speculation is, and I'm going to go out on, the, on a limb here, Capaldi's not really leaving, or they're bringing mm. back a previous actor who's played the Doctor in the past. Mm. Uh, in, which, in which is the one actor who said, I would do it again, or I, you know, I didn't, because he didn't want to leave in the first place, is Tennant, David mm -hmm. Tennant. Um, mm. Which would be very interesting, given that Chibnall just finished uh, a three-season series of Broadchurch with, with, with David Tennant. Uh, so that would those would be unprecedented, certainly, mm -hmm. um, and would be the sort of thing that Chibnall would have to agree to. Yeah, that would <clears throat> though they would definitely be unprecedented. I would think those would not be wise moves on the part of the on the part of the showrunners um 
because you're gonna i mean what right now doctor who is slipping in the ratings yeah and it's not bad the ratings are not terrible when viewed relative to other programs now they are lower than they were in the classic era but that's because you have so many more viewing and entertainment options today right so all tv programs have lower ratings than they did in the past mm-hmm. um but Doctor Who's ratings are not what they were in the David Tennant era. And I think we're going to get a doctor more like David Tennant next time, because I think one of the things that contributed to the ratings was the kind of alienating persona that they gave Peter Capaldi. Right. And so I think they're going to move back in the direction of the good boyfriend doctor. Um, yeah. But – uh, but to actually bring back David Tennant, who is old uh, on a permanent basis, who is older now and not as boyish. And I, I, I think there would be a we've been here, done that. They don't have any new ideas. There'd, there'd be a big reaction. Some people would be delighted. Yeah. But I think on the balance, it would be a net negative for the show. Probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. I know this is my going out on a limb and probably a little bit of the fanboying uh, on there. So I just I just thought I'd throw it out there as because if it does happen, then I'll be a genius. And mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll trumpet that. But uh, no, but you're probably right. Actually, I like the idea of the Valyard, a a regeneration, the Valyard, and then very quickly after that, another regeneration into uh, the long-term doctor. And and they could they could even spin the Valyard off into a kind of long-term parallel evil doctor to fight the next doctor. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's interesting. Which could involve the plans with Chibnall. Yep. That's true. Oh, that would be an interesting villain to kind of to plague the next doctor for, on long term. All right, so mm-hmm. that, that's a lot of speculation. F- uh, Father Craig, if you don't have anything to, to throw into our wild speculation, uh, we should probably well, talk about this episode, but go ahead. I, I was going to say, you know, what I, what I was wondering, you know, they showed in the, okay, so we opened this episode with the doctor in the midst of regeneration or starting the regeneration, but then you see the, the teaser for next episode and you see him, his hand goes down onto the ground and it starts the regeneration. And so we're going to come back location. to this scene. I wonder yeah. what I wonder if maybe they're going to do a longer regeneration. Right. And maybe that would lead into this idea of something like the Valyard being split off where he, if you will, almost like an amoeba breaks off from the doctor in the midst of the regeneration. Like mirror. But it's a, ongoing, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, it's it's a longer ongoing regeneration I could going see that. into the Christmas episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Starting, I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, starting yeah. next week and then the regeneration process just continues throughout that episode. Mm. Right. One of the things, two, two, I had two notes on, on this cold open. Uh, one is it's it does happen in this ice area, and that uh, could be Antarctica. And the reason I say that is because that's where the 10th planet, the Doctor's very first regeneration, happened. It was in Antarctica when the Cybermen first appeared in Antarctica and started taking over a a human-run Antarctic base. And so we've already had some hints that they may have a representation of the Doctor's first incarnation, either this season or in the Christmas special. And and so we may be looping back in some way to that first regeneration in Antarctica. And that may be why he's in that snowfield uh, at the beginning of this episode. Also, 
Um, he seems to be, he's, he, when he, his only dialogue as he's regenerating is he, he, he says no, and he says it firmly. And then he says it again, shouting it. And so he seems to be resisting what's happening to him. And that has a couple of interesting things that it kind of plays on. First one is doc, uh, time Lords can delay under certain, at least some circumstances, they can delay their regeneration. Um, the first doctor kind of seemed to do that. He kind of seemed to be fighting it before he actually regenerated. And in uh, Peter Davidson's doctor, the fifth doctor, he actually did fight it off temporarily in order to be able to save his companion and then had to succumb to it. And we saw David Tennant, the 10th Doctor, stretch out his regeneration over an extended period so he could visit all of his companions. Um, Peter Capaldi here may be doing something similar. He may be trying to fight it off and failing, and that may play a role into why it stretches over into the Christmas special. Right. He may partially be fighting it off for a time. Also, Apparently, <clears throat> Time Lords uh, have the ability to cancel their regenerations. Um, and we saw the Master do that, the John Sims Master do that uh, at the end of his Harold Saxon time, where he was starting to regenerate and the doctor begged him to let it happen and he refused and became a corpse. And so Peter Capaldi could be knowing he's about to say, become the Valyard and trying to cancel his regeneration to keep that from happening. So. Mm. Who knows? Just some ideas for what may be going on there with that no. One last detail uh, on this uh, is um, it's I mean, it, some people have remarked upon it. Cap- Capaldi's hair at this point is longer is longer than in the rest of the episode. It's and in yep. fact, I kind of thought he looked a lot like either William Hartnell or or, or John Pertwee at at this at this point. I mean, he looked very much like another Doctor. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and when you mentioned that the the first Doctor's regeneration occurred on the tenth planet on the Antarctica, made me start thinking, and I wonder and wondering. I, I don't know. Uh, just I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go with that. We'll just have to see. <laughs> I don't want the, the simplest explanation would be that. The simplest explanation would be that some time has passed, perhaps due to the uh, temporal dilation on the ship. Right. Right. Well, that's true. Well, then it did. Yeah, I mean, his clothes did look much more disheveled. Mm-hmm. Too. Well, I mean, torn up, and so obviously something happened. Well, he's been wearing this. I have to say, he's been wearing this jacket that looks pretty raggedy. Uh, even when he's yeah. in the cafeteria uh, kitchen with with uh, with Bill and Ardol, so that may or may not be a play, play a place. But let's uh, we could speculate forever, and I, I, I don't want to <laughs> spend all the, the the episode talking about it. But it's uh, keep it in mind, folks. Um, so after the credits, we have this long, slow pan down the colony ship, which we're told is 400 miles long, 100 miles wide. It has over 1,000 levels, like 1,056 levels at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's slowly backing away from a black hole. And then we have time dilation so that time by, near the black hole is, is, is uh, moving much slower than time at the other end of the, black, uh, right. other end of the ship further away from the black hole which is a, this is actually actual physics this is true mm-hmm. theoretical physics tells us this um and yeah. now now whether you would be able to survive and you might want to see some spaghettification in a ship where that's happening where the time differential right. is that big the fundamental principle is true yes exactly yeah. i mean what would happen to, to the parts of the ship that are a thousand years old and parts of the ship that are brand new i mean this is some exactly interesting questions that well, come up 
but I, we wave a hand at but, it and move on. <laughs> yeah, well, as, as I was bored, so I, you know, they showed the, the two clocks, and I figured it out that yes. one mm-hmm. day at the bottom of the ship, the furthest from the black hole, is like a half a second at the top of the ship. Right. Or like a year at the bottom is like three and a half minutes at the top. Right. Mm-hmm. So that so a thousand years have passed. Massive difference. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've made massive it very, very simple that in the two days the ship has been um, by the black hole, the back end of the ship, a, a thousand years have passed. And so that's sort yep. of the how that's happening. So uh, yeah. let's you, so the TARDIS shows up um, on the bridge of the ship, and then Missy pops out uh, and chews the scenery as she's n- never chewed it before, which is great. <laughs> Just love Michelle Gomez. Um, and she uh, engages in some uh, fourth wall breaking by having her call herself Doctor Who over and over mm-hmm. again. Uh, she refers to Bill and Nardole as her, her plucky assistants at one point, her disposables at another, um, calls them exposition and comic relief because, of course, <laughs> Which that's, is awesome. <laughs> that's the role they, they play in the, <laughs> when we break that fourth wall. And then we have like this this continuing back and forth over whether the Doctor's real name is Doctor Who or not. And, and so... like. What? There's like so many elements here. Where, where like the, the the misconception that people who aren't fans always call him Doctor Who. The fact that we don't actually know the Doctor's name and that this is supposedly being told the Doctor's name. Like all these little bits, all being thrown together here as like as one last t- let's go. I just thought that was well, great. You know, I, I love the, too where where she says, "So what does he call you? Snacks?" And then meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. the Doctor's back there eating some crisps, potato <laughs> chips. I didn't get that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one thing about, so about the Doctor Who naming controversy, um, the, the received wisdom among a lot of fans is that the Doctor's name is not Doctor Who, that it's just the Doctor and whatever his real name is has never been revealed. But if you dig into the history of the show, that theory, even though it's very kind of common among, among serious fans, isn't actually that well supported um, because the, I mean, if you, if you, it, it arose at a certain point in fandom and the show has kind of gone along with it in recent years. But if you, if you go back to the original uh, show and say, okay, what evidence do we have for this theory? There's not that much. In fact, the evidence tends to point the other way. The title of the show is Doctor Who, and it's not a question. There's not a question mark at the end of that. And so you would expect the character to be named Doctor Who, even if he's called just the Doctor most of the time. And there's evidence within the show to support that because uh, in Patrick Troughton's time, for example, he um, at one point is coming up with a name. He's pretending to be a German and he calls himself Dr. Von Wart, which is like Doctor Who in German. And um, uh, uh John Pertwee, uh, when he has um, uh, when when he has a car, the license plate reads "Who won?" <laughs> and when you have there's a, a place where the master sends a note to Doctor W, and so there is evidence within the show that his name might actually be Doctor Who, and this was just the standard assumption for years and years that it was his name, and the fan theory that it's not his name arose later. 
And so I think what we're what we have in this scene is Stephen Moffat is kind of pointing that out. You have Bill assuming the fan position of nobody knows the doctor's name and Missy standing up for the show's background position that this is his name, but he's not settling it for us. He's leaving it ambiguous so we can make our own decision here. But he's kind of in a way puncturing fan pretensions about the show by going after a prominent fan theory and using the villain to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I mean, also the like, other, the other option is the other option is his name really could be Dr. John Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, one thing I liked, and this was another bit of fourth wall breaking with Missy um, by just saying, hello, I'm Dr. Who she makes the point you know, if he just comes out and says, I'm the doctor, then they say Doctor Who. So I'm saving us minutes here. And that would be true. If he'd just come out and give him a name, we wouldn't have this rigmarole about his mysterious identity every time he lands on a new planet. We actually would save minutes at script writing time. I, I also, I th- it's funny that um, Michelle Gomez goes through a handful of different accents in this episode. Uh, I, I don't necessarily uh, have the wherewithal to identify where they're all from. And they probably have a, a resonance with natives of the British Isles um, that it wouldn't have with an American audience. Just like if she was switching between a Southern Belle and uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know a, you know someone from the Bronx and 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 then maybe some a, a Cajun. You know what I mean? If she was switching mm-hmm. through American accents in the same way, uh, so it probably has a deeper level of resonance through her performance as well. Uh, just well, she definitely. She definitely liked to play up the Scottish accent when she was being very campy. Right. The whole line about, you know, I'm just saving time here, you know. <laughs> exactly. She kind exactly. of played it up, you know. Especially when she was playing at the at being the doctor. So, um so then there's a we have another uh, uh, a member of the Blue Man group shows up um here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh if, although on screen at first and so and it's a black and white screen because in the future um, we don't have color TV apparently, and but we we, yeah. we we need the joke. So she finds out, you know, she's uh, uh, Missy sees him as handsome. Congratulations on your rel- relative symmetry. Um, playing off which, the idea which that it turns it turns out is an important component of, of physical beauty is relative symmetry and facial features. <laughs> exactly, and then she uh, tells him to bring a to, if she's if she when he shows up if she's in the shower bring her beans on toast because that's human flirting, right? Uh, which <laughs> uh, just, just some like great lines here. I mean, they're just having a lot of fun in this scene. Um, so the uh, so the blue man group shows up, um, and he kind of George is his name. George, yes. Uh, there's and apparently not necessarily the same race as the fellow from um, Chasm Forge uh, from the episode Oxygen. Um, they, they, they it's actually, racist that you you would even think he was. I know, I know. I mean, all blue people are not the same. Uh, you know, we can't lump them all into one blue Smurf category, which he does actually. Missy does actually call him a Smurf yeah. at some point, which is uh, funny. Um, and Nardole used to be blue. Yes, he misses being blue. Apparently, uh, maybe he'll go back to blue. Uh, so. Um, He's very nervous that uh, there's a human among the the group, which the only human there is actually Missy. Uh, I'm sorry, Missy Bill, Bill not Missy uh, Bill. Bill. And um, <laughs> so the lifts are coming up uh, from the bottom of the ship because they've detected human life signs on board. Um, and while the doctor is doing his his usual blabbing shtick, where he's trying to distract, you know, the the guy with the gun, and uh, so that he can pull off some some slick move. 
the guy suddenly shoots Bill, and she's got a whole big hole in the middle, and that and it was shocking Huge hole. That was, yeah. I mean, this is a death dealing blow. This is there's no doubt about it. This is something that kills you, and and it kind of hits right at that that fan speculation: is Bill a one season player, or is she going to be going on to multiple seasons with the next Doctor? I mean, and and so we're kind of playing with that idea. We don't know what the rest of the episodes be, holds for Bill. So, but this seems like a final moment, and then we get the flashback, and again, a good flashback. So, so let's right up to this point. I mean, any thoughts on on how this all occurred? I thought it was very well played. One of the mm-hmm. things that occurs to me is the doctor has started to bloviate here. He's gotten off the topic of let's put the gun down and he, he started self aggrandizing in his monologuing yes. and he's mm-hmm. starting to talk about himself as now you're going to be in trusting me with your life in mere minutes. And when you think about this with your grandkids, you're going to say to yourself, blam, and the gun goes off while he's self aggrandizing. Right. And yeah. if I were the doctor, I would feel incredibly guilty yes. afterwards. And I don't know if they're going to come back to that. They may well come back to that, but in my head canon anyway, the doctor is going to kick himself seven ways to Sunday for self aggrandizing at the moment his companion gets shot. Well, it was it was interesting we were talking about David Tennant earlier uh because he liked to do that, you know, the whole you know, between him mm-hmm. and Matt Smith, they both kind of would get into this. You know, I'm the doctor. I'm the greatest being in the world. You know, I'm the oncoming storm. Da 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 da. Yeah. You know, same kind of thing. Yeah, and it always used to, you know, um, impress the 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 alien of the week that they were the monologuing to, um, and yep. and here it backfires uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> almost literally. Uh, it, it 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 takes uh, Bill out. So we go from that to a flashback where. Um, Bill and the doctor having this conversation and apparently over a period of days because uh, we see Bill in several different outfits over a, a short period of time. So it it's implies that they're they're having this back and forth conversation at the university. Um, it's a bad idea to give Missy this test that uh, where she goes out and, and plays at being doctor. Um, and then the doctor reassures her that he will not let her die. Um Within limits. Well, he didn't Within say limits. that. He didn't say that. He he's he's going to do his best to make sure it doesn't happen. But <laughs> right. he didn't want to guarantee because you human humans are so breakable. Or I can't remember the exact word yeah. he used. But right. you, uh, you pop like balloons. Mortal, so mortal. You, yeah. Yeah. And you've only got one heart. It's your most important organ, and you don't even have a backup. It's like a budget cut. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. Which is uh, uh, ironic, given that she gets shot and has to have her heart replaced. Uh, yeah, that that's why she ends up, uh, you know, slowly uh, converting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there's a couple of things in this in this scene. Um, there's there's a reference uh, as they're walking down the hall, and she says, uh, you know, um, uh, something about I forget exactly what Bill says. Something about uh, Missy popping out and murdering everybody. Uh, you know, she's a, that she's a murderer and. And the doctor mm-hmm. says, are you enjoying your bacon sandwich? Because it had a mummy and daddy. Go tell that pig about your moral high ground. Which is interesting because the doctor made a bacon sandwich reference in the pilot. In which he said, mm-hmm. most things are dangerous. Hardly anything is evil, but most things are hungry. Hunger looks very much like evil from the wrong end of the cutlery. Or do you think your bacon sandwich loves you back? It, mm-hmm. And I feel like that that is a reference to to Missy. Mm-hmm. You know, where This is why mm-hmm. the doctor is constantly trying to... To, to save her, salvage her, she, that he doesn't think of her as, as evil. He th- um, she's dangerous. She's just hungry? 
but she's hungry for something. Well, for something. <laughs> and what is it she's hungering for? Uh, for love, validation, for his friendship. And I mean, because mm-hmm. very often the master, in, in, in several times in, the, in encounters with the doctor, when the doctor seems willing to embrace the master, the master sort of melts a little bit. You know, his heart yeah. grows three sizes. And, and that goes all the way back to the original master with Roger Delgado. Uh, in prep for all the master-centric stuff we're having now, I went back and watched all of the original appearances of the master in the first season where he was introduced. He was in every story. And he clearly craves the doctor's attention and approval. He's just trying to get it in a kind of counterproductive way. Um, I was amazed, actually, just if it's okay to divert to some past for background for a moment, I was amazed at how well Missy unfolds themes that are there in the original master. Um, I was not a big fan of John Sims's master because he was the most irredeemably evil of all mm-hmm. of the masters. And he was given these over the top, silly episodes. Um, I like him better in this one, which we'll get to, but, um, but the original Roger Delgado master, even though he was a man and he wasn't as campy as Missy, he was more two dimensional than John Sims's master. And he was friendlier to the doctor, even though he could alternate between I'm going to kill you and I'm going to be your friend. He, 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 he definitely was more open to the doctor. And an example of that, um, is in an episode or serial called, uh, colony in space where the master basically has gotten control of a weapon that'll blow up stars and he is going to use that to rule the galaxy and he's at this point he's got control of the weapon he's got what he wants and he offers to let the doctor rule with him and he says we could rule together you can use this for good you can bring peace to galaxies and stop wars and save lives and so he knows he's i mean he's letting the doctor he's inviting the doctor to rule benevolently with him and he just wants control but he's willing to let the doctor have a benevolent form of control and that's something that John Sims's master wouldn't really do but you could see Missy doing that and in fact that's what she did she gave the doctor the cyberman army in death in heaven and said use it do good with it and and he resisted the temptation on both occasions. Very interesting. Um, I, I'm curious to see how this plays out then in in this episode. Uh, that you know, because as well, I don't want to get to the ending here, but um, this idea of Missy's motivations, ultimate motive, you know, motivation mm-hmm. is, is is has a bearing at the very end of this, and it, there's a, there's a, leaves us with a question. Um, so we have this this moment where uh, they're now in the uh, the kitchen in the cafeteria, um, and the doctor you know, wants uh, Bill and Nardole to be Missy's companions on this test, um, and he says, uh, "Oh, Nardole agreed." And Nardole walks in. I did not. Well, you did in my head, which is good enough for me. <laughs> uh, which which is funny, but also is that more of the doctor's arrogance. Yeah. He's he's yeah. playing fast and loose with people's. Um, uh, lives here, uh, and it's 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 it seems like he's doing this again for you know because he 
He's very much worried about Missy. You know, he called, and at this point, we have this this little conversation about, you know, she's my oldest friend. Uh, she's different from all my other friends. She's the only person who's even remotely like me. So more than anything, mm. you know, he wants her to be good. Uh, and then Nardole points out the doctor has an emotion and wants to take a selfie with him while he's having it. Which is great. (laughs) Notice, by the way, we have a kind of Time Lord chauvinism going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, And Missy is more explicit about it than the doctor. I mean, she's talking about, like, Time Lords can be friends. Everyone else is just, you know, a pet or whatever because they don't live as long. Um, And, and... And so, but the doctor is doing something similar. I mean, I understand you can have a friend that you can want back, but the mere fact she's the same species as you is kind of speciesist. <laughs> and and we, so we do really have some time lord chauvinism going on here. Yeah, from on, both both the time lords, right? Well, on the as we see on the roof uh, later, on the roof at night, well, they're having their snack of uh, chips. Um, what are they eating? They're using forks. I don't eat, Are they eating French fries with forks? They might be. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. They're not French fries at this point. They're something else. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't figure like it out. It looked like some kind of meal of some sort. I couldn't oh, maybe, really yeah. figure it out either. Maybe it was fish and chips or something. Uh, but um, uh, anyway, on, on the roof, uh, you know, he t- refers to as his first friend. And, and then we get the, the divergence into this question of um, uh, the Time Lords have transcended genders and... Um, a little straying into this idea, you know, that, that he was, he might've been a woman in the past or in fact, infers that at one point he was a woman. Um, that, this kind of mm-hmm. irritates me with the doctor, not so much because of the whole, okay, time Lords could be either or that that's been established for a long time. We know what the doctor we was. All, yeah. We He's know all of his incarnations. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It's uh, like, like the idea that, he, he, you know, that the first doctor was his end of his first uh, incarnation as a person. I mean, it was that was his first regeneration. I mean, it was a, we know that this has been said to us. Um, so he couldn't have been a, a girl at the time. And that's the that's the thing. that And and, and that it, this yeah. is trying to be kind of being used in our political culture wars right now mm-hmm. when yeah. this is a different species. The fact that they even look like us is sort of coincidental, perhaps. I mean, right. they're not humans. It's not the same thing. So whether they've transcended gender billions of years ago is kind of silly. Although it is kind of funny that we get, you know, we've transcended your obsession with gender and associated stereotypes. And Bill points out, yet you still call yourself time lords. As opposed to <laughs> ladies or something gender neutral, I suppose. But well, and actually, time ladies are referred to as time ladies. Like Romana was a time lady, right? Um, so he could have come back with that, but he lets her have the point and just tells her, "Yeah, shut up." Um, <laughs> but I agree, this is kind of pandering to modern sensibilities, yeah. and and the doctor really would know he's always been a male. And even if time lords, I don't have any problem with time lords being able to switch genders with incarnations. I mean, we have life forms here on Earth that do that. Right, black. Mollies, for example, are a common aquarium fish that change their gender. And um, so if Time Lords are like Black Mollies, big deal. But you would know your own life history. And even Black Mollies are still reproduced sexually. Right. So gender is important to them. And even if it changes from time to time. And in the same way, a gender would still be important to Time Lords because it's how they reproduce, even if they change their gender Mm -hmm. from time to time. Right. 
So uh, there was something happening here, and I, I don't know if either of you caught it, but I, I did on the, uh, my first viewing. Um, it's a, a sort of a, a flub, a, a little error in the production. Um, mm-hmm. So Capaldi, at one point, he picks something up with his fork, and as he's eating it, something falls off uh, to the ground, and mm. he, he kind of oh, yeah. kicks at it um, and continues on with the scene but then looks directly at the ca- camera or the director behind the camera to see if they're still rolling. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, I didn't get that. Cool. <laughs> so I, go back I and saw watch the that kick. again. I saw the, I saw the little kick, and I figured yeah. that was an improvise. So, I figured that was yeah. obviously Capaldi improvising at that moment. But he looks di- directly at the camera before they switched uh, to another <laughs> cut of the scene. Uh, it, was, it was hysterical. Um, Incidentally, one little uh, nugget in this episode, in this sequence, is he talks about his friendship with the with the master on Gallifrey, um, and he says uh, that you know they were in the academy, the Time Lord Academy, at the same time, mm-hmm. and the master was just brilliant from day one, and in fact. When the master, that's a callback all the way to the very first episode when the master is introduced, another Time Lord appears to the doctor to tell him that the master is on Earth and the master, the doctor is indignant about this, like, oh, that, you know, idiot. And the other Time Lord reminds him the master scored higher at the Academy in this class than you did. (laughs) And so, so this is an echo of that. So from here, we get a, a, a really nice back and forth, cutting back and forth between the flashback and the present moment um, as we have the um, Bills kind of joking with the doctor, something like, promise me you won't get me killed. And he says, I'm not going to promise. Humans are so mortal. You pop like balloons. You have one heart. You you gave the line, Jimmy, about the, uh, it's like budget cuts. Um, it, and we switch back and forth between this you know, joking moment and the very serious, very sad of Bill collapsing to the floor and mm-hmm. uh, and these ghoulish creatures with their faces covered coming out to collect her um, and it's this very it's just it's 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 a very effective this this back and forth yep. this incongruity in the moments um, by the way notice notice the number of narrative levels that we have operating now in this episode we have the cold open yep. with the future we have the uh, the present on the ship on the bridge of the ship. We have the flashback, so we're up to three narrative levels, and we're going to add a fourth. The time and dash. and right. and I I really like the complexity of mm-hmm. this of how this episode is structured narratively. Mm-hmm. And I I like that this this moment with this back and forth. You know, it brings home that even though the doctor and Bill are joking about promising you won't get me killed, that traveling with the doctor is no joke. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, he may be cavalier at times, but it's dangerous. And I think I like that the fact that they bring back that traveling with the doctor as a companion is dangerous. Um, and, and and it's good that he won't promise her. Right. You know, in a, in a, in a, if it worse writing would be to say, oh, yeah, I, I promise I won't get you killed. Right. And that would, in a certain way, heighten the pathos of the moment when she does get shot, her heart shot out. But, um, but it would be weaker writing. It's actually stronger, more realistic writing to say, you know, you're traveling the galaxy with me. This is, this entails a certain amount of risk. I cannot make that promise to you. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see these figures, um, these hospital figures, you know, can't, uh, they look like hospital patients. Um, 
when we saw this, I'm going to guess that you both uh, figured out as soon as you saw them that I, the same way I did. These are the Mondasian Cybermen, mm-hmm. and and part of that is part of the, is the problem of the this publicity of the season is, is we were told Mondasian Cybermen were coming, and this is the last episode, so you know that this must be them, then because it sort of looks like them, and it's I think in one way that's how the the publicity about this and about John Sim kind of undercut the effectiveness of this yeah. of, of this episode a little bit. Um, it would have been so much more effective if you'd come at this not really knowing where this was going with them, and then to have the horror at the end as you realize what, what, what was coming for Bill. Um, n- not a huge problem, but it, it, it just would have been better. I just would have preferred right. that way. Um, yeah, I was I was spoiled on how we were going to see the master show up as well. But the the just to, since we're on the subject of the spoilage, um, I I thought to myself, you know, the makeup they had him in was really good. It was. And he's doing this Zathras like accent. I mean, his mannerisms are kind of like Zathras from Babylon 5. Yep. Yep. And they even went to the level of changing his teeth. They yep. gave him a different set of teeth um, in this costume, and uh, and it's way better than all of the disguises that Roger Delgado's re- would pull off a ridiculous rubber mask <laughs> um, with 1970s production values. This was really good makeup. Yep. If I had not known John Sims was going to be in this episode, I would not have recognized him, and the revelation would have been all the more startling. Well, see, at, at first I thought this was a different actor. Yeah, you know, they've done that before, where he's it's a different right. actor until the moment of reveal. And that's what they always that's what they had to do in the Roger Delgado era because they just couldn't do the makeup effects well enough. I have to admit, I didn't get that this was John Sim under that uh, makeup right away. I mean, it, it it took a while before I figured out who he must be. But um, did you were much more familiar? You've seen the material much much more recently than I have. It did Mister Razor, as he was uh, uh, called in this. Um, did he not look a little like Roger Delgado? Was there not a resemblance? Well, once he, Mr. Razor, not so much. I mean, he's got okay. this, he's got the receding hairline, which I guess Roger Delgado did, but he's got this much larger head and he's got this kind of Rasta knitted beret on and he's got yeah. a big, huge beard. Where, um, where there's a real visual callback to Roger Delgado is when he takes the mask off and he's got the goatee. Right. Because okay. that's what Roger Delgado was famous for. Okay. Um, so uh, the doctor implants the uh, subconscious suggestion, wait for me, uh, which it turns out to be a, a tragic moment uh, in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that he just says what he's doing and doesn't bother explaining. As you know, Missy, we Time Lords are telepathic, and so I can do this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Less is more. Uh, we, we do have some exposition about uh, the ship is supposed to be empty. Um the 50 crew members disappeared, and now there are thousands of life readings. Uh, and the doctor has figured out, and now he's going to spend several years of uh, poor Bill's life explaining <laughs> time dilation. That yeah. kind of got me a little mad. Like, uh, do it in the elevator. Yeah, yeah I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> uh, although I did love the fact, I showed this to you guys uh, uh, on uh, Skype before we started, that his uh, sonic screwdriver is like mine, in which he has a uh, a marker... Uh, inside apparently that he can write on the uh, on the, uh, the the boards. I have a um, 
a, sonic, a plastic sonic screwdriver from Amazon that has an invisible ink marker underneath. And I was very amused to see that the doctor has copied me and has one like that himself. It's very, very uh, useful to have one under mm-hmm. there. Um, <laughs> Especially for secret messages. Exactly. Well, I write it on my psychic paper. <laughs> and that's, that's psychic paper, by the way. It's, it's the old invisible ink. Uh, okay. So, so uh, Bill uh, wakes up in an operating room. We see a clock on the wall in this hospital operating room uh, that says floor zero is day two, 10 hours, 45 minutes, 17 seconds. Floor 1056 is day 365,034, 12 hours, 31 minutes, 3 seconds. So, Tom, no one is going to consider you a geek. I, I have it down to the second. I paused and wrote those out. Thank you well, very remember, much. I, I'm the one who sat down and calculated the time differential. So. I know. Father Corey beats me on that one. <laughs> I, I, I'll admit to being a geek, too. I, I calculated it in my head and said, okay, so based on that clock, a day on the top is, is 500 years on the bottom. Right. But... Um, it's a nice round number, I did, isn't I did, it? I didn't yeah. memorize the seconds. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, conveniently, uh, Moffat picked a nice round number of 365,000. It's a thousand years have passed. Period. Yeah. Moving on. Um, she wakes up in her operating room with this creepy doctor leaning over her, then out again and wakes up again a day and a half later um, with a big box where her heart was connected to a giant bottle of glowing liquid. Um, and then this creepy guy with the weird accent, uh, the, which is John Simmons makeup, Mr. Razor. Um, it is Razor. I, I did see, I don't know if anyone else saw that on the key, it actually, yeah. that had his name on it, it actually said Razor. So I, I got it from Which there. is ironic considering how hairy he is. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious if there's, I couldn't find, I didn't see anything that suggested there was a, another reason for it, but maybe that's coming up. Uh, uh, it could be Mr. Razor is. It's not exactly an anagram, but it's kind of a kind of a homophone for master, Mr. Razor. That uh, might be why. Maybe, maybe. Because okay. that was that was a common thing when they'd introduce him in the old series in disguise. They'd introduce him like as Mr. Magister, using the Latin word, or as I forget the Greek word, but or there as was, Missy. Or as Missy, yeah, in the new series, yeah. But yeah. they they they'd find it would be an anagram of master or the word master in another language, and you could mm-hmm. consider this kind of it's assonant with master, right? That's true. Um, so uh, Bill wanders around a bit, finds the other half converted Cybermen in the other wards, who are all in constant agony, and this uh, Nurse Ratchet type figure from <laughs> One <laughs> Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, turns down the volume. You know, uh, instead of uh, giving them some palliative care. Uh, uh, yeah, I know what a creepy moment that is when you yeah. realize all she's done for this guy is turn his volume off. Yeah, right. Oh. Well, it, it was it was interesting too because looking at their little keypads and. You know, I'm kind of a classic computer geek. I like old classic computers, and it looks like the old ZX Sinclairs, <laughs> that, you know, which would yeah. be well would have been well known in Britain because those were very popular. They came over here as Timex and really didn't do as well here in the yeah. states. But the did Sinclair 20, ZX computers did they have a 27 key keyboard? Because that's what these had. Yes. Well, the the general look of them, yeah, yeah. was was that way with the little raised uh, fin on them and things right. like that. Was kind of that mm-hmm. general. Appearance. I had one, a Timex Sinclair, uh, but that's we're going on uh, more decades than I care to remember uh, ago. So <laughs> I, I don't don't trust me on that one. I, I do like. I, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I, I was just uh, admitting more geekdom here. I was immediately thinking about their vocabulary and how many words they have to express themselves because they're hitting one key. And so I count, I freeze framed and counted the keys and they have three rows of nine keys. So they got 27 keys there. If each key corresponds to a word, then they don't have a very big vocabulary. And uh, so I was counting all the words they use, you know, she, repair, pain, kill me. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think probably though they those are programmable, so you can you you can probably program what you want each one to be. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a, a programmer with a six sense of humor to give them pain, kill, and me uh, on those. Yeah, and repair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the the Mister Razor shows up, and one of the things that I said before, Moffat does so well is these little details that pay off in repeat viewings, and. One, th- Mr. Razor keeps saying things. He keeps basically telling us who he is without coming right out and telling us who he is. He yeah. says, uh, "You see right through me." Right, exactly. Uh, it's a clever lie, but you see right <laughs> through me. L- uh, later on, when he's wearing the uh, the burglar's mask, uh, he says, "Oh, it's a disguise." Like he's like he's yep. coming out to tell her, "I am wearing a disguise." Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's 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 so good. I just love that that. That that multi layered little details that come back, you know, every time you watch it. I I, I don't know, I'm I'm being a, a bit of a Moffat nerd now, and I'll, I'll stop. But uh, <laughs> uh, so well, we have this Bill, like I said before, she spends years in the hospital, uh, hanging out with Mister Razor, watching the Doctor and Missy on the monitor as she endures this servitude and this virtual slavery. Um, uh, there, there is a, another a moment where uh, the, he, he keeps where the master tells Bill the truth. You know, uh, talking about the tea. Um, oh, good attitude will help with the yeah. horror to come. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. in other words, you're about to endure a horror, and then she says, "What horror? Oh, oh mainly the tea, but yeah. not just the tea." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't quite get rid of any other option either. It's just, yeah. oh, mainly the tea, but there could be others. I, I liked the way he was played for comic relief because yes. this episode is so dark. You need the comic relief. Yeah. And, and you get this sense, and I, th- I think it's ambiguous. Um, this is the most human we've ever seen John Sims's master is when he's mm-hmm. being Mr. Razor. Right. And, and you get the sense, I mean, you have this blossoming relationship between him and Bill, and it's almost to the point where you could wonder, have they become lovers? Because she's like waking up in his apartment. Right at right. one point and coming out of the bedroom, apparently. And then he has this, you are my dearest person speech. And <laughs> You're like my mother and kind of, she gets creeped out. <laughs> yeah. And well, maybe so my like, aunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so they've clarified for us. They're not lovers. That's good. <laughs> yeah. But you do have this. I, I kind of wonder. He's about to betray her. And there's this question of how much does he really mean any of this? Mm-hmm. And I prefer to think that he really has gotten emotionally attached to her that he cares about her he's been with her for years now and he wouldn't he wouldn't bother if he didn't have you know some degree of empathy and and genuine concern for her to to stretch out a relationship that long and so i tend to think that he he does but then i love the way they will they playfully deal with that with the mother aunt thing and then right. when you hug me it hurts my heart and she's oh Aww. how sweet it's like no no your chest unit is poking me 
and and I just I I love that and with the burglary mask which is just absurd also narratively now when we're going back and forth with the with the the bridge level we have now our fourth narrative level here yeah. where time is moving more rapidly and I really like the way Stephen Moffat intercuts as questions come up in the current narrative level we go back to the bridge to get the explanation for them and we mm-hmm. alternate between the two more than once exactly um He's also been raving, as, raising his eyebrow for a week. Yeah. <laughs> he tosses the pin in the air and it's like been up there for a month. Yeah. <laughs> um, the also we get a total callback to John Pertwee here, um, where uh as as they're deciding to move on from the bridge, the doctor suddenly takes George and flips him <laughs> yes. and says it's Venusian Aikido, which oh, is yes. something John Pertwee was constantly doing, although a couple of times he called it Venusian Karate. But he would do Venusian Aikido on people. And would- I like that they amplify it uh, because Nardal says, don't you need four arms to do Venusian? Yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> and and that's that's uh, something that they also is kind of a callback to John Pertwee's era. At one point, he he says part of a Venusian lullaby and then translates it for his assistant as "Close your eyes, my dear, at least three of them." <laughs> so we know <laughs> more body parts than humans do. <laughs> uh, there is a little detail in this uh, for this first encounter with Mister Razor in his uh, little uh, janitor's closet because uh, apparently my my guess my, this is headcanon is he's like the janitor for the building, you know, that sort of thing. And this feels like the janitor's office at a, at a big institution. Um, but that uh, he uses a can to, uh, to explain to her that she's on the bottom of the ship. So he holds yeah. up the can sideways. He points to the bottom and says, top, and to the top and says, bottom. Yep. I just cracked up. And, I mean, it's such a small <laughs> little thing. And I just think it's so absurd that, that, they, that, it, that it had to have been intentional. I, just, I, I want to believe it was intentional because it was just I, so absurd. I, I... I just love the fact that he's just using a can and just says top and bottom, and that's all the explanation he gives her. Well, the, yeah, yeah. well, the doctor spends two years of Bill's life explaining time dilation on the bridge, <laughs> and Mister Razor does top and bottom on a can, you know, and maybe that should have been enough for, for the doctor. Uh, so we we do we do see a uh, calendar again or the the clock, and now we're at three sixty five four thirty three over been over a year by the time the doctor has explained the the black hole's gravity. Um, and then, then we get this scene where um, Razor takes Bill for a walk outside in the city on the bottom level here, um, and explains that the he explains that her conversion is permanent, which is not going backwards. That it's a cure. That everyone is so sick because of the pollution being close to the engines, and because the ship is getting so old. Because um, this part's a thousand years old now. Exactly. Yep. Um, so, and then Bill asks the question, the same question that. My wife and I asked, like literally, we asked this of each other, and then Bill asks it on screen. Why do they need conversion to go to the top of the ship? Like, what? Well, just go, just get on a get on a lift. And he, Razor just kind of waves her off. And until so you want, you wonder, like, is he behind the creation of the Cybermen here? Is this is is he manipulating this whole situation to create to, maybe to kind of create this idea of the that they need conversion that that he's sort of the the hand behind everything making this happen um, or maybe taking advantage of the the situation. It's very interesting. It's 
it's it's it's interesting. It's it obviously it's unclear at this point. One of the recurring themes in the master stories, and this is all of them. Uh, on the TV show is the master because he's ba- he's the mirror image of the doctor. So he's a madman with a box. Mm. You know, that's what he is. Right. He doesn't have a lot of power unless he wants to weaponize the TARDIS. But if he wants to get power, he needs to equ- acquire it from some other source. And so in all the master stories, he's trying to ally himself with some other source of power, either a single entity that's very powerful or an army of some kind. And so it could be that um, he's trying to create the Cybermen to be his personal army, or he knows they're going to be created here and he wants to co-opt them for the future somehow. But that's a recurring theme in all of the master stories. How is he going to get power to get the control that he ultimately craves? Mm. Also, they do in this scene give us, I mean, he does tell, he does kind of waver off, but he does tell Bill that there is something dangerous higher up in the ship. So, uh, and then he mentions an expedition that went to floor 507 years ago and was never heard of again. And he says it was the biggest of the solar farms. Now, this is an interesting point, given that what we saw earlier in that schematic that showed us all the life forms is that life forms were not clustered on the bottom level, but were really throughout the ship. Um, but they thin out as you get closer to the top, which would also do. make sense because as you go closer to the top, the time dilation increases. There's been less time to breed right. as you move up in the ship. Right. It makes me wonder if the people at floor f- who went to floor 500, not that they didn't want to come, uh, not that they, they couldn't come back, but they didn't want to come back. Um, that that, this that more, could be. There's uh, there's more we're gonna uh, gonna see given especially given what we saw in the trailer for next week perhaps. Um, uh, yeah, we can save it for then if you want. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about when we get to that point. Um, so, Razor uh, Bill sees the Doctor is coming on the lift, and so she convinces him, she thinks, to take her to to one of the lifts to meet the Doctor as he comes down. Um, and so he sneaks her into the operating room on the, on that pretense. Uh, but instead, it's Bill's turn for conversion. Uh, and the doctor, you know, she's like, they're in, they're in pain. Oh, the, well, don't worry. I'm going to give you this headpiece that's going to not take away the pain, but you won't care about it anymore. Uh, and that's when we're supposed to realize from seeing this headpiece that it's the Cybermen. I mean, this is really kind of mm-hmm. the, what's supposed to be the reveal, I think. Well, it's actually a few minutes earlier than uh, moments earlier than that because he's got the one that's a Cyberman with the sock hat and the headpiece. Right, right, right. And he says, "Ooh, the hat! When it is my turn, I'm going to ask for a hat." And <laughs> right. that's visually similar enough that you can get this is a Cyberman from that. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's then when we have the further reveal because they're doing it in stages. You know, yeah. first we get the costume with the mask, then we get the hat, now we get the headpiece. Also, the, this sets up a, a, an element in Cyberman mythology, which is that they they either don't have feelings or they don't have feelings like we do. They kind of go back and forth about that. They're not fully consistent. It's kind of like the Vulcans don't have emotions thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, this won't make you care or will, will make you not care about the pain is something that um, has been uh, – kind of done before i know it's been done in the big finish audio spare parts 
Uh, there's a moment in that, I know we'll be talking about that more in the future, but there's a moment in that where uh, Peter Davidson's doctor is talking to the creator of the Cybermen in that story and says they would be screaming in pain every moment if it wasn't for the iron logic circuits you've built in them overriding that. Right. But there's and also another callback with this, it will make you not care to the very first Cyberman appearance. There's a very famous line um, where in in the tenth planet where the Cyberman first appear and the doctor's companion is Polly is talking to the cyber leader and is is saying, Well, don't you care about what you're doing here? And he says, Care? Why should I care? There are people dying all over your planet mm. and you do not care. And so this is kind of an echo of that bit about Cybermen not caring about things. Well, in, in, in New Who, uh, during David Tennant, when the Cybermen first appeared in David Tennant, they had like an emotion dampener circuit. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And because that what part one of the plot lines was he disabled that and certain ones of them and it went bad from there. For the mm. Cybermen. Right. It was uh, in the parallel universe. Uh, where Correct. They, where they, Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I have thoughts, but I'll, I'll save those for uh, the when we talk about the trailer for next week. Um, so the the Doctor uh, finally arrives with uh, Missy and Nardole, um, and uh, he tells Missy to, you know, to figure out where the ship was coming from. Uh, on the computer, and then Nardole complains that computer stuff is my thing. Uh, he, was, he was offended by this. He was he was upset. <laughs> yeah. uh, doctor says, "Sorry, she's cleverer." And Nardole sort of under his breath, "She's more evil." And Missy says, "Same thing." And Doctor, it really isn't. And then she says, "It's a little bit, a, a little bit the same." Just I yeah. love that performance. Nice. Oh, so it was just so well done. I loved it. I loved it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, Missy eventually works out that the ship originated on Mondas, uh, and then the the uh, Mister Razor shows up, doesn't recognize herself, quote unquote, under the disguise, um, and it even took. He said he took him a while to realize who she was. So yep. this is the Johnson Master who precedes this incarnation of Missy. Uh, right. He's not. He has not yet been Missy. Okay. Um, and and he may he, she may be his next incarnation or somewhere further down the line we don't know. But and he did hint that it was a long time between him right. being on the ship and her because she doesn't remember being on the ship. Well, and this is yeah. an important thing. We when we we never found out how we go from uh, the, the master getting locked in the time lock with Gallifrey at the end of uh, the time's end, and and then showing up. With the uh, Missy and the um, in the afterlife, so to speak, uh, there uh, in mm -hmm. and in St. Paul's Cathedral with the Cybermen. Uh, interestingly mm -hmm. enough, with Cybermen underneath mm -hmm. uh, St. Paul Cathedral. I wonder that now that I think about that, I wonder if this is a going to kind of work back around to that. It uh, may. That would be that, very interesting. That's. That's one of the things about Stephen Moffat is he is, by his own admission, a completist. Mm. And he deliberately, in the build-up to the 50th anniversary, made sure we had seen every one of the Doctor's regenerations, including the regeneration of the eighth Doctor, Paul McGann, mm -hmm. from the TV movie into Peter Eccle into Christopher Eccleston. Or, I'm sorry, into the War Doctor, who War then Doctor. regenerates into Christopher Eccleston. So we've seen all of the links. Right. And mm -hmm. that's just how his mind works as a writer. And so this kind of thing of how did we get from, from John Sims to Missy – 
is going to be the, exactly the kind of thing he might want to show us. Oh, that should be very. That's oh, that's very. And so what we might see is the John Sim regenerate into Missy in this next episode right. or Cause, cause Christmas. We, yeah, because we've seen other master regenerations, uh, basically. Oh, that. Oh, oh. Now, now I'm really look. I mean, I was looking forward to it before. I really. This is really good. I want to see this. <laughs> um, okay. And regenerations can damage Time Lord memories, which yep. could be why he doesn't remember why Missy doesn't remember all this at least immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so there's a very interesting back and forth and um, sort of this, he, he, uh, you know, you're not self-destructive, he says to her, and, well, neither am I, and he throws the, the, the weapon aside uh, and then reveals himself. He says, uh, he, had, he explains he's wearing the disguise because Bill would have recognized him as her former prime minister. I, that's essentially Oh, right, 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 right. Because yep. well, he was Harold he, Saxon. He doesn't tie it to Bill, and this is actually kind of a hole, I think, in the writing. He says, now, originally, Roger Delgado used a lot of disguises, and that gradually fell by the wayside, although Anthony Ainley's master used disguises too. Um, But uh, he says they're kind of a necessity when you've been someone's former prime minister. The thing is, he's wearing the disguise before he ever discovers Bill. So he's not wearing it... He didn't put it on in order to deceive Bill. Right. Um, but he, did he not know she was coming in somehow? He, well, maybe. I mean, he is he is watching through the cameras on the bridge, so he could have mm-hmm. seen her. But he did. It's a little bit of a stretch to say he would have known that she was from the right time to have been a subject of Harold Saxon. You could reinterpret the line though to just mean he's kept it on all this time because she would recognize him if he took it off. Hmm. Mm, interesting. Okay. Okay. But I does- mean, to be fair, he would have had time from, of course, with them being with the time dilation and then coming down and being repaired. Um, there was a time to get it time pass there. You yeah. know, I mean, this and he would have had time to figure out where she was from. Because that's you know, be able to. The question is, is why was why was he wearing it at all? I mean, like, presumably, no one from Mondas would recognize him. Unless he's trying to be the grungy. Well, this is one of the things about the master's disguises is they frequently don't make any sense. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, it could be, I mean, he could just, I want to be the grungy janitor guy and, and infiltrate this Cyberman thing and manipulate it for my purposes. Oh. And, you know, Bill could have had her, you know, employee ID for the university with her. I mean, we can go into that kind of stuff that showed the date. And, oh, hey, this is the right time and right. whatever. You yeah. Know? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's 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 we there's, loops, there's loopholes in here or ways you can figure it out pretty easily. Or, I don't I don't see it as much yeah. of a, a, a plot hole. Or as soon as perhaps, he saw the TARDIS, but, I mean itself, he he knew that he had to be disguised. I mean that could have been as simple as that too. As soon yeah. as that appeared yeah, on, the, sure. on the ship. Anyway, um, uh, speculation. The Doctor of goes into the operating room with Ardol and they find a, a fully converted Bill. Um, although they don't recognize her at first. And this is a, a, a question. Is she going to be another Danny Pink? Is this irreversible? I mean, we don't know I yet. I think so. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean... I, I, if, they, if they turn her back into a human, it would be a happy ending. But we don't get the sense we're heading for happy endings no. right now. No. Right. And, and, I mean, they could kind of pull it off if he sacrifices himself in order to save her. That would be the typical thing to do. But... He he would he'd be opening himself to charges of this is a real cheat. 
they've told us cyber conversions are permanent and they've never undone one before. And to undo it for Bill would cheapen the body horde that we've set up. If they undo it for Bill and didn't do it for Danny, the fans will rise up and march on BBC. Worse. (laughs) Worse than Danny Pink, they cyberized the Brigadier. Right, exactly. right. After his death, he's yeah. far more beloved than Danny Pink, and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I can still, you know, feel like, man, that was horrible what they did to the Brigadier. I did not I like that decision at all. No. No. Right. And if there was anybody they were going to de-cyberize, it should be the Brigadier. Right. Exactly. I think what we what what this says to us is that. Um, uh, we are going to start a new season, a new, a new series next, you know, next series uh, with a new companion. And well, and we, I mean, we'd even talked right from the beginning, yeah. first right. episode, that Bill was a one and done companion. Well, we, that we, was rumor back then. Right, that know. was the question back then: was was is Bill one and done or not? And I, I think this confirms it. Feels like it. Yeah. 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 Uh, the question is what, is: what happens in our dole? I'd like to see Matt Lucas continue, but um, that always sort of depends on who the doctor is going to be and whether that would work. Well, and, and, and Nardole's kind of interesting. Cause I thought the rumor, at least when the season first started that he was only going to be in like half of the episodes. Yeah. But I heard like eight episodes, but he's been in all of them so far. And now, it's going to be, be fair, next week to be, too. To be fair, some of them have been, you know, intro or exit yeah. appearances, you sure. know, something that could record it in five minutes and been done with, you know, but still, I mean, he's been in pretty much every episode. Yeah, I think his role expanded. I think they may have originally planned him for a limited role, but he proved to be so useful and and or popular, they decided to to expand his role. Well, <laughs> um, in, incidentally, now that we've got up to the reveal of Bill as the Cyberman, um, I I wanted to comment on how effective this version of the Cybermen is compared to all of the later versions. Mm -hmm. What the Cybermen really have going for them in terms of fear factor is body horror. The idea that, you know, you could be cut up and turned into one of these soulless things and still be you, but not be you. And that is where the fear comes from. And in later story, and they had that in the 10th planet when they, Mm -hmm. they had the original Cybermen from Mondas, they were creepy as heck. And and then every subsequent appearance virtually has been has had less impact because they've made them more robotic and gotten away from that body horror and they've become less effective over time. And this is there's one episode in the Patrick Troughton era called Tomb of the Cybermen that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. But everything else with the Cybermen has been weak sauce. And this really returns them to in to that original this is the most powerful they have been dramatically mm-hmm. um in ages and i really like this version of the cyberman i am so glad that peter capaldi pressed stephen moffat to bring back this version because mm-hmm. it is so effective well you you get into the the like the cybermen of the 80s looked like they were basically wearing flight suits and then of course you get the the reboot cybermen where they all look like they They're were robots. robots. They were yeah. metal boxes. The robots with metal. human brains in them, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of Nardole, the effectiveness, I mean, I don't think you could get from a regular Earth human companion the, the dialogue you give you get here in this room where Nardole kind of shrieks like a girl. Uh, sorry, girls. <laughs> and then says, um, it, it's always a scary thing with you, isn't it? And the doctor says, you're only getting that now. 
Which I yeah, <laughs> but that's that. That's the 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 Capaldi Doctor. I mean, you would you don't really get that from you wouldn't get that from Tenet. You wouldn't get that from Smith. Um, but the Capaldi Doctor is really that kind of that that snarky comeback uh, like that. And I'm, I I got to say I'm I'm gonna miss that if we don't have that in the f- future. If we, yep. but it's that particular Capaldi way, and I really enjoyed that. Um, so we have the the master. Um, you know, he says at one point, um, you know, Missy doesn't remember them being the master on the ship. Uh, and the master, John Sims says to her, I, I, we got to figure something out. The master says to Missy, he'll never forgive you when he discovers what you did to his little friend. Um, oh, yes. And and mm-hmm. that that right there might be that key that sends Missy off into, you know, it really undoes all the good that has happened yep. with Missy being in the vault and being reformed is her realization that the doctor won't forgive her, even though she's not the, technically the one who did it because she she doesn't mm-hmm. remember it or it was pre her reform. I, I yeah I obviously they're going to play on that and that's going to mm-hmm. be a concern for her next episode is could the doctor forgive her and she may it may ultimately lead to her fall or it may not it may it may just be a test for her goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the claim that the master is making there is just patently false. Uh, The doctor knows that Missy is a mass murderer and thinks she has changed. And, and, and the master has endangered companions before, hasn't actually killed one that, not that I'm remembering, um, but, uh, but has, but you know, if, if you know, this person is a mass murderer, Well, okay, but didn't kill Danny, just used his corpse um, because he was hit by a car. That's true. That's true. Um, But, I mean, the idea that I don't even remember doing this, I've changed, that's a persuasive argument. I mean, if the doctor Mm -hmm. can forgive her all the other deaths, he can forgive her that. Especially, Bill's heart had been shot out. Right. There was a, (laughs) there was, you know, they didn't have, they only had this temporary thing to put in her until they developed a permanent one. Well, there's an argument to be made that that she is just like Danny Pink in that sense. mm -hmm. She was dead and converted, you know, post-mortem. Um. There's an actual. There's a very interesting moment here. I want to jump back to the re- the reveal. The master taking the the, the mask off. Um, he says the line, "I'm very worried about my future." And then the music or sound effect at that point is a sped up vo- version of the Ford Knox at the end of time. Yes. That that Ford. Dun 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 dun. Time Lord. Time Lord heartbeat. Yes. Oh yes. It was just a nice little. Moment. There was just a nice little extra thrown in there. I really enjoyed that. That was a little a bit mm-hmm. in there. Um, I enjoyed the. Oh, one other thing. They've given us a plausible reason why the why the Mondasians are becoming Cybermen. It's because they're all going to die. Their ship is wearing out. They have to. Evolution is not fast enough to let them adapt. So they have to do this, or they're going to die as a civilization. Right. That's a plausible reason for the body horror, um, and why one would go along with this. Uh, so that's good. And then they have this Operation Exodus they're talking about. Um, obviously, planning on colonizing somewhere. That you know what, what an Exodus would be, leaving one place to go to another. Right. And it sets us up for a nice biblical illusion we're about to get at the very end of the episode. Right. Yes. The right because 
Um, well, first we have uh, Bill tell the doctor, I waited uh, in the Cyberman voice, which is uh, heart, heart-rending. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, Missy... Well you, you, well, you have the big reveal where she says, I am Bill Potts. Yes, yes. I, I, should, yeah. I shouldn't have skipped over that. Uh, so, well, yeah, that, that horror on the doctor's face as he realizes he's not just quizzing a Cyberman, but that yeah. Bill is, in fact, the first Cyberman. Full Cyberman. Yes. Well, that we've seen. We don't know that she's technically the first, although she may be. Yeah, yeah, but she's the first we've seen anyway. Uh, and... Um, and he 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 does that that you know Mondasian Cyberman the 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 horrified whisper in a way, um, Missy and the Master arrive together into the operating room. Um, they seem to be very chummy, um, mm-hmm. and she says of uh, John Johnson, "You've met the you've met the ex." Um, yeah, <laughs> and the doctor continues to be horrified, uh, and then they say you know and they make that biblical allusion instead of Operation Exodus, it's the genesis of the Cybermen, which is right. the Book of Genesis we- proceeds. The Book of Exodus, and it's it's a double reference because one of the most famous mm-hmm. and considered one of the best episodes ever of Doctor Who was a series uh, in Tom Baker's first season called Genesis of the Daleks, wow. in which we saw how the Daleks emerged from a very Nazi esque society on uh, Scaro. And there's been this. There were long after the popularity of that series, there were were actually plans to do a Genesis of the Cybermen. It never got done, and so now we're finally getting around to that. Okay, so and that's that's where we we end this this first part of the two parter, um, and we go right into the trailer. Shall I play the trailer? We can talk about a little yeah. bit what we see there. So here's the sound of the trailer. I have to warn you the uh, the at the very end of it, it's mostly sound effects of things blowing up. But you, you, there's enough dialogue we can talk about it. <laughs> A machine to turn people into Cybermen. What do you think? It's exciting, isn't it? You know the stories. There's only ever been one way to stop that many Cybermen. Me. Stand with me. Yeah, we get that cool effect, uh, the cool moment of the, uh, that last bit was a uh, grenade being thrown into the middle of some Cybermen and it exploding and Cybermen flying everywhere. Um, very interesting, just right off the bat, uh, we don't, we're not getting just Mondassi and Cybermen next week, are we? Right. We're getting future oh. versions of Cybermen. And we see them in a kind of green environment i mean with plants and stuff yep. they're out in fields as this was obviously field out of do- filmed out of doors and that suggests to me we're probably not on a planet we're probably at level 507 on the big mm. solar farm right. or some other similar level of the of the big ship yes um and that could suggest the future versions of the Cybermen that we see there are the big dangerous thing on the ship. The question could then be, how do we get those future versions? I can imagine a number of possibilities. One is they could have come from off the ship. In fact, the master could have brought them. Um, Another possibility, and I think this would be more plausible narratively, although it's a little hard, they'd have to squeeze it a little bit. The, what they've set up a little bit to to fit it in, but it could be due to the time dilation on the ship. There could be some other level where time progresses faster that we haven't seen that maybe Bill wasn't at the very bottom of the ship. There's something further out where the Cybermen had had time to develop into their stronger form and then migrated up the ship. 
or something like that. Yeah. It, so it could be the time dilation that's responsible for the more developed Cybermen, but they may be the threat that, um, or they could have been imported to be the threat to motivate the initial development. It could be a predestination paradox. My thought was is that uh, at some point the doctor ascends to a higher level of the ship, uh, mm-hmm. not metaphysically, but physically, <laughs> to ascends to a higher <laughs> level. Uh, and in that, because of the time dilation of hundreds of years passing while he's on ah. that, that they, they, they continue to evolve. When he comes back, yeah. yeah. Or they come up to get him from the lower level. Um, right, that could they've, be. They've been evolving. It could be he could have gone up to the the floor 500, 507, whatever that was, and yeah. to try to find these other settlers to get help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or and then some they sort surge of up from the bottom. Right. Yeah, in a more evolved form. That could that could well be. That would be interesting. Of course, I, I, I like, did. I like that. That's good. I did miss. Uh, I forgot to mention that the name of this episode is titled "The Doctor Falls." I mean, this right. is this is uh, right right there in the in the title. We know where we're going, and but we don't know necessarily, you know, that uh, that we'll see the regeneration. But presumably, my guess is we see at the end of this episode the the at least the beginning of that scene that we saw at the beginning of World Enough in Time. The Doctor landing in some snowbound place. Um, and the, where the regeneration is about to begin. Uh, and or at now, least we see his hand on the grass starting to regenerate. Now, I don't, I don't remember it closely enough, but mm-hmm. is it possible, too, that this isn't the doctor's hand? We talked about the, the possibility of John Sim becoming tra- Missy. Uh, regenerate, becoming Missy. Right. So maybe that hand in the grass is, not, is, is John Sim. Uh, and Correct. not the doctor, but that. So we're going to have two regenerations. Uh, one will be the doctor becoming Missy. Uh, I'm sorry, the master becoming Missy, and the second will be the the doctor in the uh, in the snowbound place, uh, beginning mm-hmm. his. Beginning his. Um, that's entirely possible. Um, anything else? I mean, it seems like at the beginning of this clip, uh, Missy is all in on the Cybermen, um, mm-hmm. but the doctor is still doing his. Uh, uh, you know, I'm the solution to the to the problem. Be afraid of me. <laughs> He's monologuing yeah. again. Um, anything else? I brandizement of the doctor. I really don't like the. So the the. There's only one way to defeat that many Cybermen. Me. I mean, I hate that. That's exactly the kind of writing I don't like. My. Well, I thought though was the uh, the movie The Incredibles. Where you sly dog, you got me monologuing. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> the monologuing. Yes, uh, and and this sort of ha- uh, this sort of started back in uh, the Matt Smith era, I think. I mean, I don't. Well, you did. Tenet did some of this, I guess, with the oh, yeah. Daleks. Uh, so it well, wasn't it, so much. It really, with the Smith. it really did start with Tenet, where he did the whole. You know, the Daleks call me the oncoming storm, and blah blah blah, right. and go off. You know, and then, yeah, Matt Smith really continued it. Although I think in Matt Smith, they did kind of eventually tile it down. Well, they had to. Yeah, they'd gotten it. He was so notorious that the entire universe was hunting him down. So they had to kind of uh, do, you know, have a sort of deus ex machina and sort of change the whole thing so that now nobody knew who he was again, which deserved it. 
Yeah, I, I don't mind a little bit of that every so often, but I think they've done too much of it. By the way, while we were talking, I went and looked up the image of the hand in the grass, and it does look like it's Peter Capaldi's hand, and the costume seems to be the same. Okay. okay. All right. Um, also, uh, I, one of the big questions is, and this isn't in the the teaser trailer that you played, but it's in another teaser trailer that the BBC has released. There's some extra dialogue where Peter Capaldi says something like where I uh, where I am, that's where I'm going to stand and then he invites Missy to stand with him and that part of the dialogue was here and there's a, mm-hmm. another line, if I remember correctly, where John Sims is kind of dismissive of that and so right. I think what we're going to see is a kind of pull push and pull between the doctor and John Sims with Missy in the middle of who is she going to stand with? Right. Cause is there, there gonna... is, there is a scene in the, the, the teaser from the end of the episode where they're holding the doctor and Missy are holding hands. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think that's going to be the dramatic crux. And in a way this goes back to a kind of plan they originally had for Roger Delgado's master. Um, they realized that they'd used him. They kind of overused him in season nine of the original series. Cause he was in every story. And um, after that, they kind of pulled back on using him and they said to Roger Delgado, would you like to go out with a bang or would you like to just kind of fade out and maybe we'll We'll bring you back periodically. And he said, oh, go out with a bang, please. And so they were going to write an episode where he had this ambiguous ending. He was going to die. His character was going to die, but it was going to go out ambiguously of did he save the doctor in his last moment or what? Uh, did he finally do something heroic at the end? And then Roger Delgado was in the car crash in Turkey, and so he died and they never made the episode. And this kind of feels like they're re-exploring that theme. I could see Missy, because she's Michelle Gomez has said she's not coming back, at least for a while. They could, this could be the kind of big, good, bad, master ambiguity leading to some kind of sacrifice on Missy's part that nevertheless doesn't stop the Doctor's regeneration. Mm. Interesting. Um, I, I did see a, a point uh, someone made that uh, after um, cheating on Clara's death last season, mm-hmm. where she died and then she did, really wasn't dead, she's sort of in between heartbeats. To mm-hmm. to cheat and bring back Bill would be would be also would would just be more of that. It would be overdone. It would yeah. be, it would be from a dramatic standpoint would would be uh, really bad for the show. Um, so yeah. I think we have seen the end of Bill. Um, so that this again, uh, my my estimation of this episode was uh, the best in a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, it feels like uh, Moffat. I, I feel like he wanted to just to start to start and end this season with these t- episodes. <laughs> I mean, you know that everything else was just filler to bring us to this point um, because it so much of it just was was meh. It wasn't. It was it was okay if not downright bad. Um, this was a masterpiece of uh, of from mm-hmm. uh, Moffat's time, and, and he's really going out on a high note. Uh, but that's my mm-hmm. estimation. Um, I'm gonna uh, you all. You both had said at the beginning that you both uh, enjoyed it. Any final thoughts, yeah. Father Corey? No, I mean I think we've really talked about everything. It just it was like we said. It, it's obviously it's the best episode so far of the season. Obviously, there's one more to come, right. um, but it was just so much better written, so much more solid of an episode 
and it really did move. I mean, it, it kept going. It did. It wasn't one of yeah. these episodes where there was points where it dragged. There really wasn't anything like that. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It had so much going for it narratively. It was narratively sophisticated with the different levels we're switching between. It uh, was fast paced. It, I, there were times in it where I was seeing how much time I had left, and it's like. There's only there's only ten minutes more of this. I want more, <laughs> you know. Um, and it had the body horror. It had the comedy. It was really just firing on all levels. I agree. It's the best episode of the season so far. It's the best in a long time. And it was obvious Moffat was going to try to go out on a high note because that's what you want to do. And so far, he's succeeding. So that's that's it from us, folks. Uh, what did you think of World Enough in Time? Uh, let us know. Uh, uh, you can go to tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, uh, leave a note there, uh, some feedback on the show. Uh, go to our, our very active Facebook page. I'm very excited by that, Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook. Uh, leave some feedback there. Tell us what you thought of the show. Folks have already started. Um, and and leave us feedback on why you want to see the podcast go. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be discussing the second part of the two-part season finale, The Doctor Falls. So until then, Father Corey, where can we find you online? Uh, my website's frcorey.org, and you can find me on Facebook at frcoreystika, last name spelled S-T-I-C-H-A. And Jimmy, where can we find you online? At jimmyaken.com, that's J-I-M-M-Y-A-K-I-N.com. Just four letters, no E's, S's, T's, or other extraneous bits of the alphabet. A-K-I-N. And you can find me at betnet.com, B-E-T-T-N-E-T.com. All my social media links are there. Uh, and so thank you for listening, folks. I, I don't have a cute uh, sign-off line. I forgot to get one. But uh, I'll just uh, quote the, doc- the, the master at the end. I'm very worried about his future. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those. 